Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFR Ratings Pete on Twitter. Welcome to A Man You Know on Twitter as JeopardyT, and straight from Optus Stadium, he went to see the Eagles for his first game of the year. JeopardyT, welcome to the show, Jep. Thanks, Pete. It was a tough watch, let me tell you. Eagles are 0-3 to start the season. Obviously, monster injuries over pre-season and some COVID-related issues to start the season as well. But, yeah, not ideal from that. But going to the footy is a good experience to have again. Yeah, absolutely. The young fella loves it. And, um, you know, get out and about in Perth is, is not a bad thing. Alrighty. Let's get into this podcast. Paying up for premium scoring players is certainly no guarantee, and that's what we witnessed last week, Jeff. Yeah, look, I I'm, almost fell victim. I almost was trying to look at Petrarca, and he failed. And, yeah, a lot of primo mids failed last week. So it's always about the long game, though. And, um, and if, you know, you, you're locking in the players that you believe are the top eight mids, top six defenders and forwards, etc. There were certainly a couple of tags placed on last week and a couple of cooler roles going around that certainly did impact those premium players, Jeff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of popular players too. So it'll be interesting how the season pans out. Um, interestingly, North Melbourne and West Coast both removed their tags after half time. So hopefully that's a good deterrent for the rest of the year. Targeting unique VC options, vice-captain options, is certainly one way to separate your team from others, Jep. Yeah, look, and, and not necessarily unique, but we need to play the VC game, don't we? So um, Butters was one probably I looked at last week as a bit of a unique, but then, you know, you, you get pulled back into into the realms of, of reality and who's going to score well. Um, but we definitely need to play this VC loophole a lot more because of you know, what happened last week with so many failed premiums. Yeah, I was looking for a unique option last week, and I have Josh Dunkley and Jack McRae in my team. So I was even to have Isaac Heaney in that team. So that game was on the Thursday night, and I had the, the VC on Heaney for a while, and I thought, oh, you know, I might go a little bit unique onto Dunkley. And, and then basically towards the end, just before the game started, I go, actually, you know, I'll just stick with a safe safe model, and I went to Jack McRae. And that was a disaster because then I, then I was forced to make a decision um, I had Lockie Neal, who was potentially going to get a tag, that it was no way known as putting a captain on Lockie Neal for the week. Then I had Darcy Parrish, and I thought, well, up against Melbourne's strong midfield team, I don't really want to go there. And then, obviously, um, I had Patrick Cripps. Then I thought, you know, actually, I'll just go straight Patrick Cripps, and I thought, no, that's great. And I looked at the weather. It was a little bit rainy there as well, and I thought, ah, don't know. So I, uh, getting off Josh Dunkley and going on to Jack McRae forced me on to making a Patrick Cripps decision for the captain, which I liked, and at the last minute I changed my mind again, and I went to Darcy Parrish for the captain. So just oh, a couple of decisions then, you, you cost yourself 50, 60 points there, and then just all of a sudden that starts to build up over a couple of weeks, and you know th- these are the decisions that everyone is going to be faced with. So for me, I should have just gone and stuck with it. I mean, it could have been Heaney is there as well, but you know, I had Dunkley in there, and if I had I had Dunkley, it would have been a much better week for me. So. You would come across that issue as well, and obviously, uh, listeners, what it was about, Jeff. Yeah, look, it's those 50-50 calls right now that feel like they're really costly, but they're actually not. It's, you know, 50 points here, 50 points there adds up over, over 22 rounds for sure, but, you know, still play the odds and, and, and plan ahead like we always say, especially with the captains. I think I'm one that's, that's guilty of looking at the captains at the end of the week. Um, and not the start of the week we've, we've trade. So um, looking ahead and, and, and planning that is, is really important. 
identifying which players will also provide a point of difference for coaches that do their research in that particular area, Jeff? Oh, absolutely, no doubt. You know, it's the same with anything. So um, <clears throat> we haven't had too many that are, are, are PODs, I might add, um, to start the year. But, um, you know, as the season goes on, there's different ways to skin a cat, so to speak, and and, and more will come to fruition. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely advantageous to not always follow the pack and, um, and you know, Sometimes it is, and we'll talk about Bruce in a sec. The key to timing trades for those players that we started under 300k will be critical, Jet. Oh, absolutely. Cash generation is probably the most important thing in the early rounds. Um, again, we play the long game. We need the cash to up- make the upgrades. So um, if you're not generating cash and um, you're a bit a star mate there, that's going to burn you. It might not burn you now and you might be sitting pretty, but, you know, come round 8, 9, 10, 11, you're going to be struggling. A couple of key pointers here for me on that point, Jeff. Is one, 2020 and 2021, these bottom age players that are in our teams now, they played very little footy, especially those on the East Coast. So keep yep. that in mind. So the other one there as well is that some of these players could be up for a rest. So you've got to you know, obviously keep up to date on the news and if there's any inkling a certain player is going to get a rest, you might want to target that player. Even if there's a little bit little bit more cash to, to, to be made, you might want to target that player out of your team first. You know, Because obviously if a popular player that is sitting on teams, sitting in teams that is on the field for most, most of them, most of us, is that, you know, that could be a bit of a point of difference if you've already traded that per, uh, player out. But it could also hurt you if the, the reverse happens there as well. So really got to be keeping in mind that type of scenario, Chip. Yeah, and the best the Vesta games scare me even more because <clears throat> it significantly stalemates the cash generation process, doesn't it? So I'd rather a full week off on, on the pine or on, you know, in recovery, not playing at all, then the best of games. So, yeah, look, Horn Francis is one. Uh, Rochelle, the, these are all the Victorian kids. Dacos pr- looks in a bit of a league of his own. But Josh Ward, you know, playing inside mid a lot more now, he, he, he'll he be due for a rest as well. So it's just about the timing of pulling the trigger, um, he, you know, sacrificing potential 20 grand earnings for... Um, for a week is, is not the end of the world. Um, not saying trade in this week, but I, I'm definitely just saying look ahead because, as you mentioned, these young bodies, um, they'll hit a wall pretty soon. And and that's why it's really important there as well is that, you know, for when you and I think about this a lot with regards to players to target on a weekly basis of, for players under 300K is, you know, you might, the sugar, the, that's the topic of the conversation in in the AFL at the moment, so the quick sugar hit. So, yeah, a player might be in for one week, but you really got to project out to see if they're strong and their best 22 over a certain period of time. And Fremantle's in that scenario as well, is that, you know, once you've got players sidelined with injury or health and safety protocols as well, if a certain player gets uh, time in that midfield, um, that's great. But you really got to f- think about what's going to come back into that team. Now, j- just on that, I think Erasmus is good, and I think he's solid in that team. But, we, you know, that still puts him at risk of being put out of that team based on players coming back in. And that's not just for Fremantle. That's every other team. So tar- targeting certain type of players, you know, just for that one-week sugar hit where you think, you know, you know, there could be a 50 or 60 there, and we make 
all of a sudden, you know, 30, 40 grand potentially in your team, you know, and, and it might be just that one week. And then all of a sudden, over the next three, four, five, six, seven weeks, you've got to still find a facilitator to trade to get that player out to get someone else in. And not necessarily do you want to take a player out that's only earning earning you just, you know, potentially 30 grand yet. Yeah, that, yeah, it, it's, it's like I said, pulling timing and pulling the trigger. Um, and it's a week by week proposition, but, um, Let's just highlight now that you probably trade out the Victorian kids first because they had less of a development year and less games last year, so they're physically less adapt. But obviously, Horn France is a bit of a man child. Dick Dacos again in a league of his own, but um, one I'll probably look to trade in the coming weeks is Josh Ward first above the the main three. Just um, you know, the Hawthorne aren't lacking inside mids and. Um, and I need to protect him a little bit. Yeah, I'm a little bit opposed to that because obviously uh, Josh Ward was the highest uh, midfielder used in those centre bounces against Carlton on Sunday. And the best part about Josh Ward on Sunday was that when Hawthorne made that comeback, he was a significant part in those in that midfield for the Hawks. So I'm a little bit opposed to that. I understand the rest scenario, but you, I also think of the role that he's playing, the scoring opportunities, and we know for throughout pre-season that he can score. So, yeah, he could get that rest, but, you know, that's one player that I would be sort of, you want to go early on him, I actually would start to push him to one of the last players out of my team. So just to hold on and hold on and hold on, just basically based on his role and, and his scoring output when he's in the middle. But, yeah, the Hawks have a significant amount of players going through that midfield. And, you know, and things up for grabs. And, you know, Robert Harvey spoke on radio this morning and, and it was like it's a big spread and they want to settle that down a little bit. You know, you just got to think of where Josh Ward sits in that rotation. But I still think it's quite strong at the moment. So, yeah, certainly there. All right, on to the next one. Planning trades well ahead of time will play a big part in this season for top-ranked teams, Chip. Oh, for sure. It always does and, it has, and always will, um, especially with... We haven't had really any curveballs yet with the late outs. So... No. Um, I'm very conscious of, of holding a trade or, or planning the trades according to the fixture for the round um, and what my backup plans are. Yeah, it's a good reminder. I'd already planned out my trades, but, yeah, just threw that reminder back into me. So don't get too comfortable. We cannot get too comfortable here, especially this year. So, And that's the exciting part about it. Well, not really for late hours, but it's really exciting that, you know, you can find a point of difference based on holding a trade or based on going somewhere else with regards to news breaking late because, you know, other pl- players and coaches have already locked in their trades for the week. You know, especially if that breaks on a, a, um, a Friday. And last week we seen West Coast and Fremantle didn't name their teams until Saturday. So some people have their trades until very late, and especially onto the Saturday going into the Sunday. Already we are talking AFL fantasy season long classic mode. This discussion is pre-round four. This podcast has been recorded on Tuesday night, April 5. And of course, the news is being crushed out for you on AFL Ratings Network. The content is free. Likes and retweets are always appreciated. Again, make necessary adjustments as news comes to hand. And that's stock standard uh, throughout this podcast since we began way back when. Alrighty, just some couple of data points I'm going to hit on here, Jeff. So I'm just going to roll you through some early season uh, data points from a couple of teams and just you know hit back on if something comes to mind based on any players with regards to some team stats. Alrighty, so North Melbourne are minus 9.3 inside 50 differential, so that's ranked 18. So it's probably kind of expected for Kangaroos, and that sort of puts in in line Aaron Hall type decision um, with regards to defence and 
you know, last week, last year when the the Kangaroos were considering a stack of inside 50s, he was hitting our ceiling game. So that starts to put the, uh, in that scenario again that he could start to hit some ceiling games. But North Melbourne on the weekend, they were horrible. Like David Noble in that press conference, he actually he lost a gasket. So yeah, you know, you just got to, you know, the Kangaroos in a rebuild mode, and you know they did choose um, Josh Goder and Miller Bergman throughout that draft, and they're half-back flankers, so you've just got to keep in mind with regards to Aaron Hall, could we see a transition later in the year to some of these younger-type players? So that's always in the back of my mind with Hall this year, but, you know, minus 9.3 inside 50 differential, that puts Aaron Hall still in games right in play. Doesn't matter about his score on the weekend, Kangaroos were just actually just horrible. So, but, you know, minus 9.3, that's a lot of inside 50s they need to defend. That means the ball's got to come back outside, the 50 and that is Aaron Hall zone right there and then already next one Essendon and West Coast a minus 9.0 inside 50 differential so that brings in players like Luke Foley and you know a couple of Eagles players are scoring well in defence there as well and they're ranked equal 16th already let's get on to efficient ball movement so this Gold Coast this is a big change from last year for Gold Coast they are now ranked one, number 1 5.7 disposals per inside 50 so they're flying that ball so it's not necessarily the the players that are speed is that they're, they're you know getting that ball inside 50 as quickly as possible. Now, the Gold Coast are actually poor early against GWS. They're actually really poor compared to what they put up early in the season. So let's see if they respond in the next couple of weeks for the Suns. But it's a big change from where Gold Coast were last year, hanging onto the ball. Now, one one or two players that sort of brings into the scenario is that you've got Matt Real, who's highly owned in this top 25, and we'll talk about ownership in a minute, and Tuke Miller, who was tagged on the weekend by Lockie Ash. And just on, on the weekend is that Lockie Ash went into that midfield to tag Tuke Miller, and there was a tag team. Miller was was not let off the hook all day. So therefore, Leon Cameron made the decision that to zip out to Stephen Canelio out of the centre bounces. So Lockie Ash going in actually impacted Stephen Canelio. So yeah. it's really interesting, the dynamic, especially for the midfield for the Giants. But let's get back onto the Gold Coast. A big shift in their ball movement from last year to this year. More efficient. So there's that sort of, you know, people start to get a little bit of an uneasy feeling about Matt Real. I still don't because I still still think the, the role is still there and it's really heavy in that midfield. And that's all we can ask for. So uh, let's see how that goes. But, you know, that might put some ideas in some minds of fantasy coaches. If the Gold Coast aren't hanging onto the ball, then what does that do? to Matt Real over a long period of time, especially when he's highly owned in that top 25, which actually would correlate in, into, you know, a, a lot of highly owned coaches, you know, top 1,000, top 2,000. Already next one, Brisbane 6.1. This is no change from last year. They were the most efficient, so they're right there, there again, right about the same amount of um, disposals per inside 50. Melbourne 6.5. They were strong last year, and they're strong in that situation again. Now, let's get on to the other end of it. This is where the disposals are. This is where the disposals are, and this is where we can get some, you know, fantasy goodness out of some of these players. Is it Adelaide 7.7? So this is a really slow ball movement, and the conversation coming out of Adelaide the last couple of weeks was actually quite surprised me because, as I've said to you over the preseason podcast, Jeb, is that teams are going to efficient ball movement, and coming out of Matthew Nick's mouth, coming out of other assistant coaches' mouths, is they wanted to slow the ball down from where they were last year because they thought they were going too fast. So all of a sudden that brings into, you know, if they want to slow down the ball movement, and again, it's not us trying to decide what coaches are going to do. We've got to listen and to tell us what... And, and listen to what coaches are trying to tell us and, you know, put our fantasy minds into into thought process and see what we can get out of it. So if the Crows want to slow down this ball movement, 
That brings in your Jordan Dawson, who was highly targeted last week. It brings in your Rory Laird, who would have no ownership whatsoever. Ben Keyes is in there as well, and Matt Kratz is still obviously right in there. So if they want to slow down their ball movement, that's kind of good for Adelaide players and targeting those. Now, the one thing that you and I talked about big, and this is the one thing we were both big on over pre-season, is Carlton, is that the, the pre-season discussion for Michael Voss and all the assistant coaches was, was about stopping structure, was about contested ball, was about changing it. And the one thing that we worked out over the pre-season, you and I, is that for Port Adelaide last year under Michael Voss, were really strong in that midfield. We could sort of see that happening with regards to Carlton. And therefore, that turned into Patrick Cripps, Sam Walsh, Adam Chera, George Hewitt. And that's exactly the way it played out. So I'm actually pretty proud that we actually identified that over pre-season. And that is exactly the way it's played out. Because you know what? Carlton are ranked number one in contested position differential, plus 23. They are smashing it. And not only that, Carlton are ranked number one at 398.7 disposals per game. And, you know, when teams are going to efficient ball movement, if, if you've got a team averaging near 400 disposals in this day and age in AFL, it's actually really good. So uh, plenty more goodness to come from the Carlton players. And the last one here is that Geelong used to be slow ball movement. Now, I've got the inkling over pre-season that they wanted to change as well, which is kind of big for Geelong because their list demographic doesn't go into, you know, fast ball movement with their older demographic, as I said. So, you know, at uncontested marks, Geelong at 66.7, which is really low. So that means that they're not just hanging around, hanging on to the yeah. board, chipping it around a half back, and Tom Stewart gets some marks, Bitch Duncan gets some marks, is that they're really low. They're moving the ball as quickly as possible. Now, we've really got to think about that game on the weekend against Collingwood, is that, you know, uh, the Magpies smash the catch in the third quarter. They actually just really smash them. And then come three-quarter time, Geelong flipped that game on its head, and they go, what? Well, we just got to go. So it was just straight through the corridor. So the, the Geelong didn't, didn't even have an opportunity to take uncontested marks. It was straight through the corridor and move that ball ASAP. Therefore, the uncontested marks were reduced. So therefore, if Geelong have really got an opportunity to play through that middle of the ground, you know, those uncontested marks are just not going to be there this year. That's a stack of information across the board with regards to some data points, Jeb. You tell me what you think. Yeah, it's the Adelaide one. Um, Dawson comes to mind. Um, certain teams, and, and Carlton, obviously, Cripps is just playing amazing footy, um, fantasy aside, and then he, he's just hitting every stat line. So we, we prefer the inside balls and the, and the contested ball players, um, the inside mids, that is. So, you know, identifying those in different lines, and, and it's interesting with... Um, Geelong actually speeding up and, and not holding onto the ball and as much and maybe that's going to cause some volatile scoring and you, and you flagged that last week with just the change through the midfield and, and on a week-to-week basis how Geelong was going to play so a lot of really inf- valuable, inform- valuable information out of that and um, yeah it helps picking your primos um, a lot of us get you know um, short-sighted with this sort of stuff and, and we forget it's a long game and and picking the players has to suit, you know, if you're going to pick a Crips or if you've already got a Crips, but if, you, if you're one, a non-owner like myself looking to bring him in, I look at what how Carlton are playing and what the game style is and is it going to stack up for 22 rounds and or from here on in, so, and I believe it will. So, yeah, really valuable information. Yeah, and also in Geelong, don't forget I said on last week's pod is that Chris Scott and other assistant coaches have been saying is that, you know, they're not going to roll out that same 22 each week. So, therefore, you know, there's going to be rotation of healthy players in and out of that team because they don't really, really want to get in a situation where at round six, round seven, round eight, 
they need five players for a rest because they've gone too much into their their, their tank or their well, so to speak. You know, they're, they're just going to rotate players in that team when they're healthy. So, you know, Geelong players, you know, everyone knows that West Coast are female or players I'm out, but Geelong players are pretty much going to slot in there as well for just being out because they could be just rotated at, at any stage of the season, which would hurt, especially if you're relying on any particular player to score well. All right, Jeff, let's get on to some ownership here. So it's round three ownership, and it's the top 25. So it's, we're going to look at uh, players that are 20% or higher owned. So let's get it stuck into it. So it's the ruck situation. So Braden Pruse, he's at 80% in that top 25. So I would imagine most of those um, coaches started with Pruse in their squad, if not traded in him last week and made some moves around other areas of their ground. So that's pretty much covers it anyway. But 80% is really significant. That's quite high. Brody Grundy, 72%, which is interesting. You know, that everyone's holding on Grundy just for the time being. Tim English, 48%. He was pretty much the one to start with at round one. Um, I didn't do it. Uh, the, the conversation out of the Bulldogs late in preseason was that they wanted him to be the clear number one. And Stefan Martin's situation, again, made that really difficult. But obviously the, the clear messaging just before round one was that he was going to be the number one. And his scores have been exceptional. You know, he's going beyond that ball and he's becoming almost a half-back flanker as well. And and Luke Beveridge did talk about him in press conferences with regards to, you know, he's that he's that extra midfielder. He's playing that behind the ball, loose in the set mark type game. And it's actually fantastic for English. It doesn't have to be high hit outs. It, because it just needs to win plenty of ball. And when he's accumulating 23, 24, you know, 25 disposals, whatever it is per game at the moment, you know, I mean, his scores are going to be elite. And the other one there, so English is at 48% and Max Gorn at 16%. Your thoughts on any one of those, Jeff? Yeah, really like English. Um, I feel like, again, not the highest of ownerships there, even though you just mentioned 46% in the top 25. But even still, you, you know, you're playing the long game, you're looking at it. Long term, um, yeah, really like that pick, and um, you know he's on my watch list for sure. But oh, the eighty percent for Bruce isn't that interesting? Like, Monster. yeah, it's it's really really high, but it's it's also um, sort of dictative of how how quickly things change in, at these early rounds, doesn't it? Because if Bruce scores a, a fifty or sixty, that that obviously flips it. So yeah, really really interesting. Let's get on to the defenders. So George Hewitt, 100%. Jaden Short, strong, 96%. Lockie Whitfield, 92%. James Sicily, 84%. Paddy McCartan, 44%. Jordan Dawson, 40%. Jack Crisper, 32%. Luke Foley, 20%. Thoughts on any one of those, Jeff? Yeah, the, I think there's a 44% coaches nervous having McCartan at D6, so expecting that to change again for the, for the next week quite significantly. Okay, on to the mid. So Nick Dacos, 100% strong. Patrick Cripps. Monster start for the season, 92%. Matt Rell, 88%. Lockie Neal, 84%. Andrew Bracewell, 76%. Jason Horn Francis, 68%. Matt Crouch, 52%. Josh Ward, 48%. Jack McRae, 44%. Josh Kelly, 28%. Pat Lipinski, 24%. And just a reminder, these are the players that are on ground. So these are not including bench players. Uh, these are on ground for last week. Jeff, thoughts? No, nothing Nothing comes to mind there. Um, all pretty standard within the midfield, I would have thought. All right, on to the forward line here. Josh Dunkley, 100%. Zach Butters, 96%. Stephen Canelio, uh, 92%. Tristan Cherry, 88%. Will Brody, 80%. Nick Martin, 60%. And Isaac Kenny, 44%. Thoughts, Chip? 
those top six are exactly my starting forwards, so that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. So, and, and you and I did talk about pre-pod. Uh, I did say that you know, based on the the top twenty-five ownership, I, like I've got eighty to eighty-four percent of players in that top twenty-five. So it's really yeah. interesting, which is it's really tight the start of the season with regards to um, where everyone is in overall contention. So you know. How, how much movement can you have throughout the year? And, and obviously we talked about the, the buy structure and how important it was to get uh, that in, that right to, you know, provide a difference between your team and other teams over that period of the year. And then you included into the conversation, you know, picking out those point of difference players in the second half of the year towards the end of the year to really come home strong. Thoughts there, Jeff? Yeah, uh, I'm big on that. I, I don't mind following the pack at the early start, you, you know, assuming the player I like is, is ticking all the boxes, but just because he's highly owned, that doesn't mean I don't pick him. Um, it's, yeah, I get creative pretty much around the buy rounds and, and after that. Yeah, it's interesting. The wall, I'm just facing a wall of ownership. I'm a bit behind at the moment, but, uh, you know, I've, most of my players are in these highly owned uh, teams at the top of the leaderboard, so I've just got to face a wall of ownership uh, and how to overcome that throughout the years. It's going to be some pretty... in inventive thinking but you know just for me at the moment as you said i'm just happy to just to hang on for the period of time and just make some moves over the buy period and towards the end of the year to to find that point of difference to get back into contention Alrighty, let's get on to who are your three targets for round four assuming you don't own any all right so again i do a, a primo a mid pricer and a rook um so yeah patrick cripps is i don't own him and um probably one of my biggest mistakes to start the year, but that's okay. I still feel like it's not too late um, to, to, to jump on, so the non-owners should should definitely look at that. The mid-pricer I like this week is Bowie. Um, I was a bit hesitant to go in last week just because I didn't know how hungry he was for the footy. Um, but, yeah, no, he seems really active and um, really keen to have the footy in his hands a lot. So that's still a play as well. Um, and then young Reef McGuinness is um, from Collingwood. Played the McCreary role, as I thought he would. I, I tweeted it out during during the week just before the full lockout happens. And, um, yeah, he, he added a lot of value and obviously comes up against a depleted West Coast side this weekend. So... Um, some, expect some pretty good scores in the short term from McGuinness. Yeah, for me, Tom Green, uh, his start of the season has been immense, obviously with Hopper sideline that he's going to see a significant amount of midfield usage, and he's just a contestable. So there's one, Braden Pruce. I just think, um, you know, in round two against Richmond, you know, Matt Flynn was just pushed aside. And, you know, Pruce comes in last week against uh, Jared Weeks, who's you know, pretty... You know, highly touted Ruckman is strong bodied in that, and Bruce just had his way with him. So, listening to Leon Cameron in that press conference, you know, the Giants have started one and two at the start of the year, so they need to get back in front of the uh, the win loss column. So, you know, he mentioned about a four week scenario, and he mentioned about, you know, we'll find out over the next four weeks. And I think at the, over that period of time, that is Braden Bruce time. I'd, look, Pru- Matt Flynn can come, be, come back in and share some ruck duties, and I still think Bruce is scoring. Rate would be still pretty solid, but I still think right now, based on what we have seen throughout uh, last week, is that Braden Pruce, that is number one, and that should be clear number one. I'm not disputing that Flynn could come in for a bit of a chop-out. The other thing was inter- interesting there from Leon Cameron is it's that he said that Pruce was a little bit interrupted through the preseason. 
So they just wanted to give him a little bit more of a run last week, and it was a, like to get up his fitness. So that's just one thing you got to keep in mind there as well, is that you know he just got to the lo- like obviously he was suspended in round one, and you know I would have started with him in round one if he wasn't suspended. But you know last week you had the opportunity to come back in, and he was still solo on. And Cameron comes up and says pretty much, you know we wanted to give him another run to build up his, his fitness. So. Keep that in mind with regards to your pre-selection. I love the peak, and I think it's his time over the next four weeks. And at the worst-case scenario, that's pretty much all you need, because he should have hit a pretty high salary there, so then you can make a decision based on what you want to do with him, just in case we have to make a decision. And the other one there is Sam Doherty. Um, obviously, Saad was out of that team last week as well, but Doherty is just, he's just controlling that half-back line. Um, he was outstanding on the weekend, and I thought he was um, quite brilliant, actually. So, you know, if he's going to get that rate of disposals across half-back, and we have seen him, you know, when it was the uh, Kate Simpson and the Sam Doherty show, uh, it was the best correlation in AFL fantasy back then. It's like four, five, six years ago, whatever it was. Um, and Doherty could score, and that's, you know, if he's controlling that half-back line, I think that scoring rate is going to be there, and if that's the case, you know, based on Whitfield's not scoring well at the moment as well, he could be number one defenders. Thoughts on any one of those, Jet? Yeah, the Doherty one I like. Um, he's a little bit out of my reach, but uh, I'm looking at ways to get him in. Yeah, he... They give him the ball because he's, you know, he's trusted with the ball in his hands, isn't he? So a lot, even when they were um, holding the ball up against Hawthorne at, at the death there, um, it was a no-brainer to give it to Doherty because, you know, Doherty knows what to do. So that that happens at any time of a game, and they like the ball in his hands, and and that obviously equates to fantasy points. Already notable, low break Evans uh, that could be on the radar. So I'm just going to run you through a list here, Jeff, and just give me your thoughts on one or two of those. On one or two of these. So Nick Martin, minus 31. Tristan Cherry, at zero. Patrick Nace, at one. Hugh Dixon, at one. Nick Dacos, at two. Lee Rioli, at two. Corey Durden, two. Reef McGuinness, two. Connor McDonald, four. Braden Pruse, seven. So there's cash to be made there. Josh Ward, eight. And Hugo, Ralph, Smith at eight. Thoughts on any one of those, Jip? Um, yeah, they're all doing their job. I don't think there's any surprises there. I just expect Nace to be dropped this week. Um, and hopefully Hugh Dixon's not dropped because he played really well against Rio. Um, but from a role point of view, I think he'll struggle to stay inside. Already notable players potentially dropping in salary on the radar to target soon. So we're going to look at players at a, a 130-plus break even already. So we go Tuke Miller, tagged last week, 156. Jack McRae, 152. Jack Steele scores just haven't been there for Steele early on. Um, have, I've had a bit of a look into that and see what's going on with the Steele, Steele scenario. And for me, you know, I could pretty much base it on you know, last year with regards to Steele, Steele's high ceiling Numbers is uh, he was moving out onto the wind to get those plus sixes, and he was you know the Saints were a little bit slow ball movement at stages this year for St Kilda it's a little bit dynamic so Steele's getting overlooked and he's not really in that position to accumulate you know three or four disposals, which actually removes his ceiling so it's really got to keep an interesting watch on that St Kilda game plan because that's not really conducive to a high ceiling Jack Steele scenario. Obviously, if they slow down the ball movement, uh, he's going to be back in there. But, you know, their ball movement at this stage doesn't really sort of play into the hands of Jack Steele. 
and you know most people spend up you know over a million dollars on a steal and they're just not getting the reward at this stage so we'll see how that plays out for the next few weeks but yeah just you know, St Kilda dynamic ball movement is sort of taking away from Jack Steele at the moment and Tom Mitchell he's in the scenario with regards to Hawthorne you know having a lot of spread through that midfield so therefore it removes his ceiling you know it's a removing his 100 point game so yeah. which is really interesting so it's 143 break even Rory Laird now we spoke about the Adelaide uh, slow ball movement and he's got no ownership we know that because he missed the start of the season with a broken hand so again when we talk about interrupted pre-seasons Rory Laird's actually in a good situation because it wasn't a soft in- tissue injury wasn't a knee injury wasn't groin wasn't a hamstring it was just a hand so he's got his fitness right up there so if you're looking for a player with a high ceiling and we know Adelaide are going to be playing a little bit of a slow ball movement game for whatever reason, I don't know, but you know that's the the comments coming out of the coaching staff is that Rory Laird could be a bit of a point of difference there. Aaron Hall spoke about a, a Kangaroos um, conceding a stack of inside fifties, but you know the back of my mind, the back end of the season, does that bring in Miller Bergman and also Josh Goder across half back, and does that put you know Aaron Aaron Hall's role in jeopardy altogether? So he's got a break even at one thirty five, but there's no doubting like, um, there's no doubting the high ceiling games for Hall are right there if the Kangaroos going to concede that many inside 50s. Callum Mills, not much ownership there. Obviously struggled through an interrupted pre-season. So he's at 133. Low ownership there. Christian Petrarca, 132. Monster start of the season. Bit quiet last week. Oliver got the ball. And that's a scenario that's going to happen from time to time at Melbourne. But, you know, his high ceiling games are going to just pay off quite significantly. So he's at 132 break even. And Cam Guthrie, you know, we talk about Geelong with regards to the efficient ball movement. Cam Guthrie, 131 break even, 850. That's probably a salary too high. You know, if I was looking, if we're talking about um, evaluation of players and the Cam Guthrie at 850. Based on Geelong's ball movement, I would put him in like a 700 to 750 player, so 850k is too much for me. So thoughts on any one of those, Jip? Yeah, uh, targeting McRae for sure because of you know his history, and I think Petrarca um, is up there as well. They're they're the two locks for me that are still top eight mids. Alrighty, strong scoring output with an average of 115 plus. And it's going to roll you through a list here, Jeff. So thoughts on any one of those. So Andrew Brayshaw, obviously you spoke to me at pre-pod that, you know, it looks like he's got his running in his leg and he's getting to the ball. And, and, you know, even Fife comes back in and Monday comes back in, he's the the number two in that midfield. He's just going to go to town. He did get tagged last week, which we did obviously identify. But he gets there in the end because the tag was dropped and he was just his, his gut running and it just everything is about him is good. I think it's fantastic. So he's... Uh, a very strong average to start the season. So Bailey Smith up there as well, a 131. Travis Bogue, you know, no ownership there as well. And, and his scores have been there to start the season. But if you're talk, talking about his age, you know, what can he do over a period of a season? You know, they might be bringing question marks into that. So he's strong to start the year with regards to his average. Patrick Cripps, obviously, we've discussed about that. He's just running through brick walls. Now, the interesting thing about Patrick Cripps on the weekend, I was interested to see what Hawthorne do, but they tried to nullify him. Now, in the first couple of minutes of that game, there was a boundary throw in on the MCC side of the wing at the MCG. And I thought, what what are Hawthorne going to do at this boundary throw in to restrict Cripps? So I think it was Warple who was facing away from the ball, which is a free kick, but these don't get paid in in stoppages. They never do, really. He was facing away trying to push Cripps away from the ball, and then Mitchell comes off the interchange bench. He runs straight into Cripps and like just try like half the size of Cripps Mitchell. Yeah, exactly. He runs up and he just like tries to push him away and it was like two on one and and, and have a gets who gets the ball. 
It still crimps. So there's no one stopping this guy at the moment. Although I couldn't be more bullish on a player if I tried. So he's start of the season. But I just I just wanted to see what you know Hawthorne did to him at stoppages. And they put two players on him. They couldn't stop him. So, you know, if two players can't stop him, what's what's going to happen for the man of the season? Already, we've got to move on here. Too much Patrick Cripps talk. Christian Petrarca, obviously a strong start of the season, 120. Ben Keyes, no ownership there in that top 25, 120. Team Taranto, really low ownership there across the board, highly ranked teams. Obviously, you know, our thought process was he's going to spend a bit of time forward because of Toby Green out suspended at the start of the year. But the scores are still being there for Taranto. It's really good. and But he's really top-level top salary, and it's going to be hard to get unless that salary comes down so if you're really looking for unique the player that can score is Tim Taranto and obviously he's in full health Lockie Neal was targeted last week and obviously sort of got there towards the end and had an injury concern and you know I think I think you had him in a team you were fearful that um it was going to get uh, subbed out of that game. And it was actually in the realms yeah. of possibility of happening because, you know, the, the, the Lions were really in control. And I, was, I watched the Chris Fagan's interview and they goes, no, nah, yeah, strap it up and you know, put him back out there. And, well, if that's the case, he's all fine. And, and he sort of got there in the end and put up a half-decent score. And then Tom Green, now, like, his start to, to the season has been outstanding for GWS. Now, the significant part is I want to go back here to last year, and it was um, the injuries to the Essendon midfield that gave the opportunity to Darcy Parrish. And we've seen Darcy Parrish, I think it was about 550 to start last year. I mean, he's just so a season would just, just exploded. Now, Green is up about 150k to start the year. Now, again, it's a bad opportunity, and that opportunity without Hopper in that team is right there for uh, Tom Green. So I think he's going to put up strong numbers there. He's still a target for me and obviously um, a target for many others this week. And Josh Dunkley, um, he's in that midfield. And the one thing you talk about a lot, and that's the, the contract narrative, he's had a contract at the end of this year. So, uh, And especially in a couple of years ago with, with regards to he wanted out of the, the Bulldogs because of his lack of midfield time. And that's when Bevo was putting him in the rack and it was just it was all out of control. He's a little bit headless with him is that he's in that midfield at a high rate and, he's, and he should be there until that contract is signed. So from the point of view of the part, those people that own Josh Dunkley, you want that contract signed at the end of the year because as soon as that contract's signed, who knows what Bevo's going to do. So probably not the scenario, but but you just really got to keep it in mind is that, you know, if, if it, the longer he holds out, it's probably got to be beneficial because he's going to be riding those uh, centre bounces. Thoughts on any one of those, Jeff? Uh, more who to target. Um, <clears throat> obviously, there's some popular players there, but interesting, like you said, t- just highlighting Tim Taranto, hardly owned, obviously costs a bomb, but hardly owned in the top 25% and even really in the top 5,000 um, of coaches right now. So he's one that you can get a jump on that's low ownership and you can pretty much guarantee Taranto's going to be a top six forward. Alrighty, we're going to get onto a few listener requests. So thank you for sending those in. Got a stack of those this week. So uh, from Jeppa and for me, uh, very much appreciated you sending those in on a weekly basis. We try try to cover uh, those off throughout the podcast. If we don't, we chuck them in this section to cover off. And sometimes we double up for just a final thought. Okay, so we're going to do a 37 pack to finish off this uh, finish off this podcast. So. Let's get into it. I'll try not, not to hold you up too much here, Jet, with some thoughts, but, you know, we've got a lot of players to run through here. So just a, just a quick like or dislike, and if you want to stop on a couple, we can. So Jack Hayes, for me, it's a dislike now. He could be on the adder at any stage. Dislike for me. Yeah, dislike as well. He, he, you got to run him on the bench um, until, uh, obviously, he gets dropped. James Sisley. So the scoring rate has been actually too strong for me at this stage. For me, it's just, a, it's just, just straight up a pure like. 
Yeah, like as well, got there with a big third quarter, though. Um, can be volatile with his scoring still. Neil Erasmus. I still like uh, some players to come in back into that Fremantle team, but yeah, for me, I like. No, I like it too. High centre bounce usage, which will probably fade with Monday coming back, but showed a lot of good signs for a first, uh, first gamer. Uh, Matt Rail, the role's still there, and I think the scoring will eventually come as well. I like uh, just, Yeah, I, I dislike. I think um, he... There were some dubious um, tackles given to him in his 13 as well. I was watching him closely. And um, if you need 13 tackles to get to a score in the 80s, it's a dislike. Uh, Jack Sinclair, he's just running through that midfield and he's pretty much collecting positions at will. So for me, it's a, actually it's a really big like here for Jack Sinclair. It's a dislike for me only because the players I target now like that would I'd want for the whole year as a top six defender, and I still don't think he's a top six defender. Matt Crouch, uh, again, Adelaide's slow ball movement. So I'm going to put him right in the like. And, you know, for me, obviously, interrupt pre, interrupted pre-season puts question marks on him, but I think you know, if Adelaide are going to slow down their ball movement, it's a big like here for me. Uh, I'm going to say dislike for now, but, yeah, it, it, that could change. i uh, I just never seen Matt Crouch as a 110-plus midfielder. Nick Blakey, I don't mind it. Justin McInerney is to come back into that team. You're going to have one uh, one flank, you're going to have Nick Blakey, and the, the other flank, you're going to have Justin McInerney and Lloyd in the middle distributing to either. So there's a, there's a bit of a distribution about to happen with Blakey. I don't mind it, and he can score. So for me, I'm going to sit on the side of the fence of liking Dislike for me because he, I don't believe he'll score consistently. Max Gorn. Now, a lot of people are trading out Max Gorn if they if they had started with him to get onto a different structure. But eventually that's going to turn into very low ownership towards the back end of the year. So for me, that point of view, based on low ownership, I do like, but it's just about the time you're getting into that team for me too. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to look at ever trading Max Gorn. Um, I feel like he's... Not playing well and still scoring, you know, obviously, low hundreds or 80-plus. So um, it's coming. The one thing that you hit on pre-pod for me is just reminded of what we have talked about previously on this podcast is that once we get into the middle of winter and we start to get slower grounds and wet ball and that, you know, the, the heady outs come back and the repeat stoppages come back and those big scoring rucks sort of take over middle of the year, Jep. Yeah, and, and the same goes for Grundy, which... Um, you know, both Grundy and Gorn are big likes for me still. Okay, Took Miller tagged last week, but I'd still big like there for me. No, no, yeah, he's he's still likes. Just um, they went hard at him, and for obvious reasons. Darcy Byrne Jones, uh, volatile scoring. He can score, but too volatile for me. Uh, turns it over a stack as well. So, it's, uh, yeah, interesting there for me. Dislike. Dislike as well. Luke Foley, I still don't mind the pick. I'm going to sit on the side of the fence of liking here. Uh, dislike now. If you don't own him, don't don't target him. But if you're an owner, just hold. Jordan Dawson. So, yes, it's going to be a little bit of midfield time. But if he can hang off that halfback flank, you know, he's going to move up in the forward and that wing. And uh, his scores can be there. Um, they, he got there late last week. Obviously, goal after the sign to win the game for Adelaide was really good. Gave him an extra plus nine for actually not being involved in that contest. So it was, it was plus nine bonus points. Uh, but for me, uh, with regards to Adelaide's uh, slow ball movement, and he was a target last week from the highly ranked coaches, I, I was one of those who actually traded Dawson in. So for me, I'm actually liking. Yeah, I think he's got a lot to offer, and I think the, as he looks more comfortable, doesn't he, with, as each week goes with his new team, so it's a big like. 
Uh, he's just on a different level. I think he's a pretty much A-grade talent for Adelaide, so you can just tell that quite easily with regards to him in and around the contest. So, yeah, A-grade talent right there for Jordan Dawson. So, Zach, Zach Williams, Adam Saad to come back into that team. Zach Williams, depending on the role he gets, if he get, ever gets a shutdown role, that scoring is just not going to be there. Um, volatile scoring for me, I'm going to say dislike. Dislike as well. Josh Kelly, you know, if he's out of those centre bounces, the scoring could be quite volatile. Um, he still can get there, but he's just not part of that link chain at the moment with regards to GWS ball movement. So scoring's drying up a little bit, but I still like the pick. Yeah, I still like it as well. Josh Rochelle. So this is about timing when you trade him out. Is it time to move off Josh Rochelle at the moment? For me, I would pretty much hold maybe one, maybe two. But if those who have got no other option but to trade him out, I wouldn't be saying no to that this week, Chip. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So if, if you need his cash to do something else, or, you know, make an upgrade or whatever it is, then then do it. Jai Simkin. So we've seen Taron Thomas out of that team last week. We've seen Luke Davies Uniaki out of that team last week. Uh, and that midfield for North Melbourne was just overwhelmed. But, you know, Davies Uniaki back into the team this week, it should help out Jai Simkin. I still don't mind the picture. No, I, I sort of changed my mind on this after watching North get flogged. If, if that's going to happen every now and then, um, then Simpkins' scores is, is going to be pretty hindered, so dislike. Patrick Nash, so a stack of Eagles players to come out of that team. You know, where does Simpson finally finally settle? Now, it's really interesting. We haven't really been able to get a gauge on where Simpson sees that team because they made some structural changes over the off-season and some game plan tweaks, and, and we actually haven't seen it in, in, in progress at this stage of any game whatsoever, not even in pre-season because the injuries that were brutalised over this pre-season for the, for the West Coast. So, you know, where does he sit in, in this scenario? Um, who knows? What are your thoughts there? Uh, I think he's going to be dropped this week, actually. Uh, it, the the wingman, typical wingman will be Gaff and um, and Luke Edwards, I believe. So looks like Nash will be on the outer. But he, he does turn the ball over a lot. And, yeah, uh, so owners just be prepared. Daniel Rioli off half-pack for the Tigers. I don't mind a pick, but the scoring can be volatile, so just be prepared. Uh, yeah, dislike for me. Um, two up and down. Nathan Broad now, his scores have actually been quite solid, so that's definitely off off the wall type of pick. Um, how much trust can you put in a defender? I think there's just too many other defenders that are scoring well uh, that we, you know, I think paying out for a little bit more for quality, reliable defenders is a better option here. So for that reason, I'm saying dislike on Broad, but his scoring has actually been pretty good. Yeah, dislike. He's been around a while now, and he's never really showed a consistent family uh, fantasy game, so. This line. Tristan Cherry, he's shown nothing other than to say that he's still number one at North Melbourne, so for me, I like the picture. Yeah, I'm very much alike. Uh, Jack McRae, so uh, if you want to talk about this and what you think Jack McRae's upcoming, I still like the pick. Yeah, very much like it. It's it, like he's the discounted premium I'll be jumping on first. He's He's got a pretty good month coming up with a lot of soft matchups, so... Um, Let's see how they play out against Richmond this week. But then after that, they got North Melbourne, Adelaide, Essendon and Port Adelaide. So that's a pretty handy month in my opinion. Um, and I feel like that it'll be the time to jump if for non-owners. Jai Caldwell. Now, we've said all pre-season that he's going to be number four slash five at the centre bounces and Zach Merritt goes out and all of a sudden he's number five. 
Uh, Andrew McCard comes in, which is what I thought would have happened, and he came in, but he didn't come in as a ball winner. He came in as a tag, so really interesting to see what Rutten did last week. And obviously, we, we both forecast that Stringer was coming into that midfield, so that dynamic is actually hurting Caldwell. But the scores have actually been really good. I've been really impressed with the, the way he can get it done. But is that going to last? Is that a, you know a small sample size uh, straight into the start of the season? He can have solid scoring, but if that starts to dry up, you know where do people sit? So for me, I'm, I said last week dislike, so I'm sticking to hold strong. Uh, and this is based on you know how much uh, inside midfield usage he's going to get. But his scores has actually still been there, and his tackle rate's been pretty solid. As long as he's in that stoppages around the ground, he can still get there. Uh, but for me, uh, based on his uh, centre bounce usage, uh, it's still a dislike, Jeff. Yeah, I, I'm actually an owner, and I'm starting to dislike as well, dislike it a bit. I know they got, you know, they're playing the best midfield in the comp, but his his decisions, he he, he made a lot of mistakes, and his clean hands, well, fumbling, let him down a bit. So. I think the coaches will see that and, and he'll still maintain his fifth in line in the CBAs and that doesn't help anyone. Uh, Nathan O'Driscoll, scoring wasn't there last week, unfortunately, for O'Driscoll. So for me, I'm just going to say dislike for the time being. I don't mind it longer term, but, yeah, I was hoping for, you know, 60, 70, maybe even 80 last week and it just wasn't there, Chip. Yeah, so was I. I ran, I ran him at D6 last week, knowing he was playing the Eagles and was hoping he would get a bit of hunger and, and get some confidence up. But watching him off the ball, I was obviously at the ground and um, didn't have the hunger to, 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 you know, on the wing, between wing and on ball, didn't really have the hunger to command the ball, um, whether that's his role or not or that's his demeanour, I'm, I'm not sure. So that's a bit of a concern. I still like it as a cash gen for the next few weeks. Uh, Jack Bailey, so um, he's a small lockdown defender, but at the moment no Salem in that team, so therefore... You know, the longer Salen's out of the team, he could be winning a little bit of ball. So for me, long-term, I don't like the pick. For the short-term, you could get a bit of a sugar hit, which is great. But, you know, when is that going to end? You know, levers to come back into that team this week. Does that change a little bit of a dynamic with regards to who's controlling that ball out of the back line? Not too sure. We'll have to see. But that back line dynamic will change over the next few weeks, which does include Salem coming in. So do you want to brings Bowie in at this stage with regards to, you know, there could be some lockdown roles coming up in the second half of the season or in a few weeks' time when that back line is settled for Melbourne. For me, for that reason, I'm saying dislike. Oh, I like, and what I really noticed about him against Essendon, he wants the ball and is, is like opposite to O'Driscoll, is commanding the ball, wanted it, wanted it, even though he didn't get it. So... I think scores will come from that, and I like it. But you know, and this is in a situation where you're trying to eliminate the D6 in terms of a rook or being McCartan, the Driscoll, mm. even a Skinner in some cases, or a Gibkiss or whoever it is. So in that instance, that's where I like it. Yep. You're not obviously going to target him um, for any reason other than that. Already Lockie Whitfield scores just haven't been high ceiling at this stage. I think he'll get there eventually and post a couple of high ceiling games and obviously then most people will be looking for him, but he's still at a reasonable salary there, Jet, and he's still quite obtainable for many that do not own, which is would be very few. I think he's quite highly owned in that top twenty five. I still like the pick and in fact I love the pick still. Yeah, I like it too. He's still taking kick outs as well. 
Now, Will Day, uh, Jack Scrimshaw injured on the weekend, but the diagnosis has been not too bad. So for those thinking that Scrimshaw is going to be locked out of that team for a little bit of time, that's not going to happen. So therefore, it's the one player that I looked at it initially was, okay, Scrimshaw's out, and then he's a bit of a ball winner and a bit of a distributor of halfback and out of D50 for the Hawks. And, you know, that brought Will Day, and my thinking on Sunday night is, like, you know, can I find a scenario and find the, some conviction to bring Will Day in? And my thought process was, process was just to wait for the diagnosis for Scrimshaw because if it had been long-term, it, Will Day would have been high on my radar because, you know, with Sicily and NGF in there, you got how many distributors from D50 do you want? So therefore, Scrimshaw is another one. You know, if it was Day coming in as the third third one, that's okay. But if he's the fourth one, I'm still really not liking it. So Scrimshaw is not long-term, so therefore I'm not liking the Will Day peak. I was nearly there Sunday night, but I'm not there now. Uh, no, I still like it. I think even if he doesn't play halfback, he'd play a wing. Um, and I like it for the same reason I like Jake Bowie, obviously. So um, it's to to get the leg up at the D6 spot. Yep. Okay, on to Noah Anderson. So, you know, for, for the Suns going to be efficient ball movement, so Anderson's you know, doesn't have that high ceiling, consistent ceiling over a long period of time, uh, for me to dislike here. Dislike, yep. Aaron Hall. So, you know, back end of the season, could we see Miller Bergman in? Could we see Josh Goder in? You know, how strong is Hall in that team? And he, he actually put in a couple of really poor spots in that Kangaroos team on Saturday night and, and Noble went off his head on that presser. So I've got to imagine there's change coming to that North Melbourne team. I don't think it's Hall initially, but put him well and truly on that radar at the back end of the season because don't forget, the Kangaroos in a rebuild mode. So therefore, they're not thinking short-term, they're thinking long-term. And, you know, Hall's up there in age, so he's not long-term. But, you know, he can find the ball plenty across half-back, so his high ceiling is there. I still love the peak uh, high ceiling, but he's high price tag as well. He's going to come down in salary now with regards to low-scoring output uh, recently. But, you know, if we get him a cheap price and he still looks like he's locked into that team, I think he's a target really quickly. But just got to, I'm just in the back of my mind is that what is hap- going to happen to that North Melbourne team with regards to development and what kids they want to play towards the back end of the year. And, you know, Noble was in there forecasting change and he, he did say in that press on the weekend, we're going to find out who wants to be in, in there and who wants to be who doesn't want to be in there. So, yeah, I think a lot of players are on, on watching that North Melbourne team. You know, whether Hall's part of that process or whatever, busy did put in a couple of stinkers efforts on Saturday night. So, for me, I've just got my radar well and truly up on his situation. Yeah, it's a, it's a really valid point you make about the long term and how North Melbourne go. I, I think you've banged on here. Um, so, yeah, it's a dislike for me. I, I'm going to wait till it plays out post-buy and then reassess with Hall. And at, in the end, my decision based on Hall would be pretty much price because if you could offer me Aaron Hall right now at 650, I am, I'm not even thinking about it. I, I'd take the risk on board with regards to, you know, any potential out, which I don't think is going to happen yeah. at the moment. But, you know, Noble's put pretty much the entire playing group who played on Saturday night on, lit, on, on notice. So, you know, that's, if he's put everyone on notice, that means Hall's included in that. Whether he is or he isn't, I don't know. But the fact is, now it's going to come down to price. You know, if he's at 900k, no way. But if he's at 800k, it's question mark. If he's in that 600 range, yeah, I'm, I'm targeting and I'm taking on board the risk that I just mentioned as well. So just, yeah, keep on mind. And his high ceiling and Kangaroos giving up all of those inside 50s, that is just plays right in the hands of Aaron Hall. And we've seen what, what he could do last year. Alrighty, so let's move on. Angus Brayshaws. Now, 
the thing with Brayshaw listening to um, Simon Goodwin and his presser was that, you know, that the game pressed up in certain parts of the ground and that meant that Angus Brayshaw was let loose to add onto a wing and he just found so much of it. He, like, it was, I think it was over 20 marks or something ridiculous like that and he just put up 156 points or there, thereabouts. Um, is that going to happen every week? But my straight answer is just straight up no. So from that point of view, uh, inconsistent scoring and he plays that wing role and he sometimes just runs up and guts run cut runs up and down the opposing wind to uh, Ed Langdon as well. So, you know, it was his opportunity last week. It not, not necessarily mean that that's going to happen every week. It might, but I don't think it's going to happen, Chip. Uh, uh, yeah, no, dislike for me. Pretty pretty straightforward in the long game with that. Uh, Tim English, for me, I still like this pick. Yeah, we we touched on him. He um, very much liked the pick. He, he's a top six forward, in my opinion, now. Pat Lipinski, now the scoring has been volatile to start the season. So... You know, are those uh, coaches with Lipinski in their team, is uh, they got itchy trigger fingers to, to pull a move somewhere else? The potential is that that is the scenario that's going to happen. I still don't mind the peak, but, you know, when, when you've got Crips rolling off monster scores that are not too much higher price tag, you know, Lipinski just under where Crips is at, you know, you, you've got to be making that move to find Crips in your team rather than Lipinski. So there are other options out there and other players out there crushing it, whereas Lipinski is putting out volatile scores. From that point of view... Like, I don't mind it, but from that point of view, I'm going to say this lot. Uh, I'm an owner that's got a trigger finger, but then I saw he plays West Coast this week. So let's give it another week and reassess. But what's frustrating with Lipinski is his tackle numbers. Um, he, he did get four tackles on the weekend against Geelong, but um, hopefully he can keep that up for the, for the rest of the year and, and get in amongst it. It's, um, it's, I think he likes the soft matchups. That's what I read into him early on. Okay, Jay Gresham. A couple of things on Gresham. Yeah, he's inside that midfield. I don't mind it. But long-term, he's a forward midfield. So he's in there at a high rate. The Saints have a few issues with regards to midfielders being available in that team. But that doesn't seem like it's going to be resolved in the short term. On the other point of view, is that his tackle rate's not just not there. And if those marks are down there, and you know, if he has a, a disposal game which is really low, he can put up a really poor score. So... I still think there's volatile scoring here, Jep. So for me, that from that point of view, I don't like it. Yeah, I'm a big dislike on Gresham. I don't think he's got a high ceiling um, to even begin with to, as a mid-pricer to get you those scores. So dislike. Uh, Sam DeConning. So the question is, you know, is he going to be playing that team? Last quarter, last week, he was moved forward. and he, Or in the second half of that game, he's moved forward. So therefore, you know... You know, as he moved away from that defensive role with regards to he can take a lot of intercept marks and, and get those scores ticking along. Uh, he's had a bit of an interrupted and not-so-friendly start to the season with regards to his availability early in the year. You know, and does he make that round three, uh, round four, round five, round six team, and is he unimpeded to put up some scores? Don't know yet, but we'll have to wait to see that flushes out. I still don't mind the pick. I don't think it's time to move off uh, Sam DeConning yet. What are your thoughts? Uh, yes, yeah, obviously a hold, but I'm nervous he keeps his spot. He did have a couple of really important touches when he was in the forward half in that last quarter, just, just mm. quietly. Mm. Uh, Paddy McCartan, so scores just haven't been there recently. So, you know, those sort of rolling with McCartan at F5, sorry, D5 or D6, you know, getting a little bit nervous with regards to, you know, they could be expecting 60 or 70. So for me, I'm getting a little bit uh, trigger happy here with McCartan. So for me, it's starting to lean towards dislike here, Jet. No, it's dislike for me as well. He's got to be a bench play only. And Todd Mitchell uh, as well here. So, you know, if we're not going to see even 100 scores yet, he's going to dip monster monster price. So that that's going to be incoming. So, 
you know, Ward's in there at a high rate on the weekend, and you know, Harvey said he wants to settle that down with regards to what's happening through that midfield. But, you know, the Hawks do have a stack of players going through that midfield. You know, we could re- reel off six or seven, and I think they had eight at centre bounces last week. So if Mitchell's going to be part of that crew, and O'Meara there as well, and Warpool and Nash in there, who he's matching up on there as well. you got Ward in there, you got Warpool. I mean, that's just going to only hurt... Um, Tom Mitchell. Now, the other thing that came out over preseason, which we discussed with Hawthorne, is that they want to run the ball more efficiently. So, I mean, this is probably the same scenario as Jack Steele. Is it, it, They're not going out on the wing to receive their plus sixes anymore because that ball is coming straight through the middle of the ground. The ball movement is more dynamic this year. So those players who used to get the easy plus sixes on the outside because of the slow ball movement, it's not happening anymore. So Mitchell's in that range, and if those centre bounces are not there, good Lord, what price could he drop to? So let's see how that flushes out with regards to his salary over the next few weeks. I just don't like this peak right now. Yeah, no, massive dislike for me. Um, one of the pre-season predictions I actually got right. Okay, and you wanted to throw this one here to finish off the podcast with. Was it the Pruse to play it R2, R3 discussion? So off you go, Jip. Yeah, look, I, I feel like the Pruce at R3 is a bit of a waste, um, personally, because effectively he's there to to generate cash at R3 and, and not much else. So um, can you get better cash cows around? And, and, and this is still to play out because we don't know who's coming into the sides and, and who's getting named. But at the moment, I feel like the R3 Pruce play is the incorrect one. Um, I don't mind the R2 Pruce play, but um, I would be training Grundy to do it, not Gorn, which is not what I've seen amongst the trends at the moment, amongst the community. So um, I keep that in mind. I just feel like I'm both a Gorn and Grundy owner. Um, I've got the, the dual set and forget set up. And um, I, at this stage, I'm not targeting Pruce at all. Um, which is key, you know, obviously makes me nervous, but I definitely would not be targeting Bruce at R3. It's just too much money at this point to have any bench where you can reinvest it. Like, I can actually make a premium upgrade this week, um, the way my team is. So I- I'm going to stick to that instead of chasing, you know, what sounds like a lot of coaches going after Bruce for, um, for some cash generation on the bench, but then... If there's a lot of coaches um, chasing Proust at R2, well, then I'll, I'll play my Gorn and Grundy against your Proust at R2 quite happily. So I just thought I'd throw that in there at the end because there's quite a lot of angst and question marks about this move and what the play is. My personal opinion is is what I've just said, and, and you know, I could change. I get cold feet if I feel like I'm missing out. So... Um, but I'm definitely not doing the Proust at R3 move, that's for sure. Yeah, the R3, I, I sort of agree with that. I mean, but if you've got nothing else to do and you've got the spare cash, uh, for me, you can chuck him on R3. But from R2 or just putting Proust on the ground, I think this is an absolute smash play. I think if you can get him on, if you want to restructure a little bit, I think that's you go, it's a green light. I think this is a big smash play. Um, it's rare that I come out and say something's a smash play, and, and generally I'm not a bad record with regards to that. Um, but I think this is just, I think it's Brendan Proust time. I think he's going to be there based on 
what Leon Cameron's saying is that you know we're going to get a month of this, and, and again the Giants have started one and two. They need to get back on the right side of the ledger. And based on what Matt Flynn, he got pushed around in round two against Nankervis and Solder, and in round three Proust just dominated, like he was just smash. So I can foresee Proust averaging uh, the same as Grundy over the next four weeks. And if that's the case. You know, it's not even a question mark for me. If you want to just put it down to pure maths and, and projections and, and, and value in that, if, if Grundy and Proust average the same over the next four weeks, this is absolutely a no-brainer. We'll see. You know, it might not even play out like that. Is it, you know, Proust, you know, Flynn might come in for a bit of a help with regards to a split ruck roll. So, therefore, um, Proust's scores will go down. But based on what Grundy is outputting at the moment and based on what Proust could do, uh, I think this is actually pretty much a smash play. So a big green light for me. So it's a little bit opposed to what you're thinking there, Chip. Any th- final thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's, I, I like the discussion and I, I like, well, it, it sounds like the majority is bringing in Proust this week. So, uh, yeah, at the moment my strategy is just to make an upgrade in my midfield and, and keep the points on the field. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm quite happy to run because I don't need to trade um, in the area. I'll run Grundy or Gorn against Proust quite comfortably. Yeah, and it's not as if, like in your position there, it's not as if you couldn't do that next week as well. If you go, yeah. oh, you're not another week of data and you go, hang on a sec, I'm paying, I'm paying you know, 850 or whatever Grundy is for a price, and then I can get you know Proust at 470 or whatever price is going to be next week. I mean, you you can still bank some money there and put that another midfield on field. And if you go in a week's time, well, I've got this extra data to say, you know, Proust is the go. You know, you, you're right in a situation where you could change your mind with regards to, you know, upgrading another midfield or a defender or if you've got some issues with D6, you, you go up to a primo and all of a sudden you're matching everyone with that Proust pick. Now, the other thing there is that Proust is highly owned in that top 25 at the moment. He's 80%. So, you know, and most I would presume most of those, that actually started with Proust in their starting squad. So uh, full credit to those people there. And if you have started with that scenario, uh, full credit to you. And, and I hope that just completely pays off um, and the other thing I just want to remind you Jeb is a couple of years ago I think it was a 2019 champion uh, for overall rank um, what it was is that uh, Sam Jacobs if you remember early in the year I think it was round two yeah. round three was injured and the winner of overall and it was unique to everyone else who finished high mostly most people were high ranked that year is that the move was made from uh, Sam J, or whoever the ruckman that they started at the time, I, I don't think it was Sam Jacobs, but they moved um, Rolly O'Brien on field, uh, and he just smashed it. And it was the move of the season. It's the one thing that will always stick in with me with regards to, you know, what the overall winners do to differentiate themselves from the rest of the field, and that one just stands out like no tomorrow. What? Um, that overall win it did for the year. It was the move, and it was the start on field. Uh, Riley O'Brien, who now we sort of put in a scenario as a top rank, uh, top handful of rank ruckman in AFL fantasy. The move was made early, and the move was made, um, and it claimed an overall title. So, what can you do to finish off the year and decisions you make on a week by week scenario? I mean, I don't think this one could uh, differentiate yourself from the rest of the field because most people are already there anyway on Proust. And if not, most people aren't already there. They're going to Proust this week. Uh, but, you know, I wouldn't be too fearful of downgrading a big ruck because that has been done before and that has been done before to win an overall title, Chip. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that Riley O'Brien scenario does stand out. I think a few played O'Brien at R3 for the cash gen as well. Um, and he was a similar price, I think a little bit cheaper from memory. So, look, I'm not saying my strategy's right. It's just my strategy is different to, to the majority. Um, and I'm not saying that my strategy entails that Bruce is going to fail. I'm not saying that at all. My strategy is, well, I've got other areas where I can make an upgrade that I feel is more beneficial than Bruce right now. That's what I'm getting at. So, everyone, I just feel like, Everyone or most are getting short-sighted by getting in Bruce because, you know, they're fearful of missing out and all the rest of it. But, again, I'm happy to play Gorn and Grundy against your Bruce for now. Um, or, or, you know, when I say your, I mean the majority of. Um, but if there's other moves you can make, maybe you should make those as well. See, I, I, I don't even mind, like I'm obviously bullish on Pruz, but I don't even mind holding on the Gorn and Grundy scenario because there's only, in the top 25, there's only two coaches that own that combination chip. So we, we talk a lot about on this podcast ownership and, and I talk about, you know, the wall of coaches in front of you with regard to them, you know, they've got most of your team. So how are you going to bypass that? So a way that you can bypass that from your position, Jeb, is that if you hold on to Gorn and Grundy, you know that that's that's actually turning into a unique option at the moment because not yeah. many not many have got there. So you know, kind of what I'm getting at. This yeah. is what I mean. So like, while the trend is towards Bruce, I'll hold mm. with maybe five percent, ten percent of others. Um, I'll make an upgrade in the this week where others won't be, and I feel like I'm potentially going to get a jump. But, again, I, I, that might be very optimistic from my point of view, and it might sting me in about a month's time when Proust tops out and I don't have other rooks generating as much cash as he is because they're few and far between. Mm. But at the moment, that's the direction I'm taking. And, yeah, like you said, the uniqueness part, <laughs> it's weird that we're saying that a Gorn and Grundy combo could be a unique combo to start 2022 in AFL Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't even mind if you're going to do one, is it to, to get off Grundy and to hold Gorn because, you know, he's, he would be even, you know, he's only 16% owned in that top 25, whereas, you know, Grundy's up at 72%. So... Uh, well, Grundy Grundy plays West Coast this week, so yeah. I'm for for taking more marks in that game because Nick that won't be able to go with him. And then um, Gorn plays Port Adelaide, where or Lysa, like Gorn will sit behind the ball. So as long as they're pressuring the ball handler or ball carrier, ball whoever's got the ball, Gorn's going to take quite a few marks. Adelaide Oval as well, yeah. but we've seen Gorn struggle putting two hands to the ball to take a grab. So. Yeah, short-term look, look at it, and let's see how it plays out. But I love, like, uh, obviously the Proust play is is right in a in a lot of ways. I don't don't want to say, oh, you pick don't pick Proust. That's a silly move. I'm not saying that. I'm looking at it from a different perspective. That's all I'm getting at. Definitely. So unique is fine. I, I love unique, and obviously um, making unique decisions is is what's going to differentiate differentiate you between the rest of the field at the end of the year and that's what it is Jeff, because you're trying to find a way to climb rank you know if if Proust does fail which you know anyone can fail uh, through all matter of scenarios so if Proust does fail is it you know when you're talking about you know the top 10,000 I reckon 70 80 percent of those are on Proust now is it you know that 
all of a sudden that puts you a bit of a leg up and so you can some claim some points over a period of time. Um, and those that are going to Proust uh, this week potentially have to find another trade for him another week. So you, there's two trades that you're going to be using up on him at some stage this year, unless he goes through this season and he just smashes it. So we'll see how that goes. All right, Jeff, so that's it. So final thoughts overhead, ahead of round four. Uh, yeah, plan ahead, obviously. We, I just like to remind everyone of that. And, and yeah, enjoy enjoy the strategy. Make sure your captains are picked and, and vice captains in that loophole sorted. Uh, don't uh, be surprised if a few bench players and rooks are dropped this week either. Yeah, just unique uh, vice-captain option for me. So reiterated uh, for my lack of dec- conviction on decisions last week, it actually just cost me in the end, 50, 60 points or whatever. But, yeah, just uh, go with a bit of conviction. Um, I wouldn't mind uh, for those that are trying to chase up a little few points. But you've got a double hit. So if you can find, like, a uh, scenario. If, you, if you've got a Gorn this week, Jeff, so you're in that scenario where you're keeping Gorn. Imagine if you just put the VC on Gorn and all of a sudden he smashes out of 130 and then all of a sudden, you know, people are trading out Gorn and then you've just got him for a VC. So that's a really... You, double, yeah. you, you can actually almost double down on your unique, um, your unique path this season for holding the Gorn and Grundy scenario. So double down on it. Potentially that's an option for you. So for me, it's just, you know, being a little bit more conviction with regards to your VC option. Uh, it's a double hit. So potentially, you know, obviously the pressure rises when your, your, your first hit fails and most of us got in that scenario last week. Um, and yeah, obviously plan ahead. You know, you reminded early everyone early in the podcast to you know late breaking news and you know, holding a trade potentially as well. So that's always in the realms of possibilities this year as well, especially this year. Um, obviously monitoring news there as well. And again, the simple game plan right now. It's really simple. We're target, targeting low break events. We're trying to generate some money off some of these players. Um, and you really got to identify who's best 22. You don't want to play coming in for a debut and then they're a sub the next week or in that sub exactly. scenario. So, you know, this is why you and I are really specific about the players coming in, you know, for a 190 player who's coming in. It's not it's not automatic anymore. It's not we're playing a different game than what we were uh, this time last, well, this time a couple of years ago because a 190 player means, you know, you're in the team and you're playing, but it's not the scenario anymore because you could be, you know, and we sent it last year, players named for a debut and then they'll, well, you're starting as a sub. So that's also a scenario where you've got to watch out to, with regards to, to debut news um, with regards to their starting sub or starting on ground. Um, so... Keep in mind that as well. Um, they need to be locked in for best 22, you would at least think, for two to three weeks for minimum, uh, for an absolute minimum. So, um, And again, this year, and I think it'll play out this way, Jep, is it to have deep bench cover. Um, all right, Jep, that's it for episode 124. Uh, good luck for everyone for the rest of the week. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks for being a part of the podcast, Jep. Thanks, guys.